Last week we started a series, Age to Age, through the book of Malachi. And as I stated last week, a few times a year, I always want to take you through an entire book of the Bible. I preach from the Bible every week, and I preach from it verse by verse, but it is always my goal not just to proclaim the Word, but to get you in the Word. Because I know if you get in the Word, God will speak to you, and you'll be a change agent in the culture in which you live or the family in which you serve. And it's important you never take a preacher's word for it. You need to be in the word for yourself. You need to know God for yourself. And if anything that we have done wrong uh, as a kingdom in this country is we've put preachers on such a high pedestal uh, that if they fall, we fall. And if they fail, we're shocked. And on our best day, the Bible says, our righteousness is that of filthy rags. But I know one who has made us righteous. His name is Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He gave his life for us and it is he that makes us righteous. And I worship him and honor him as Lord of all this morning. As I stated last week in my introduction, there are three kinds of prophetic people and books in the Old Covenant. There is um, the pre-exilic prophets, those who were pre-exile, and basically their prophetic message to Israel was, if we don't shape up, we're going into exile. And then there were the exilic prophets, and their prophetic message was, because we have sinned, we are now in exile. And then there are the post-exilic prophets, Malachi being one, Haggai, Zechariah, and their message was, we are out of exile, but God is about to go silent if we don't shape up. And God always raises up, as I taught you last week, a messenger before he judges a people, a nation, a church, a business. He always raises up a messenger, and that's what the word Malachi means in the Hebrew language. It literally means my messenger. And this messenger had a burden on his life for his nation. And God not only prepares a messenger before he brings judgment on a people, he proclaims a message. And we defined that message last week. It's a message of divine love, even though this is a very harsh book. In fact, I had someone text me as I was leaving Olivet Baptist Church last Sunday night after a glorious night in ministry. And they said, Pastor, you seem like you were cleaning house this morning. And, and I really wasn't trying to clean house. I was trying to be true to the text because this is a harsh prophetic word. I mean, literally God is about to go silent for 400 years until we see one like Elijah, John the Baptist crying in the wilderness, making a way for our Messiah. And things have to be pretty bad for God to go silent. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to go silent in my life. Amen. I don't want to get to a place where I, I can't feel his presence. I don't have his spirit. As David would say after he made a horrendous mistake, he would say, Lord, you can have it all, but take not your spirit from me. You can have it all, just don't take your spirit from me. But it's a message of divine love. Before God would judge him, he says, I have loved you. And they respond in those first few verses of chapter one and say, well, how have you loved us? 
You know, it's kind of like having a kid that's entitled. You know, uh, well, well, Dad, how have you loved us? Well, I've changed your diapers. I paid your bills. I raised you. I put a roof over your head. You know, I loved you. But the people of Israel, they didn't realize how far gone in religion they had gone. They, they couldn't even see that they had turned their back on a God who brought them out of captivity, brought them out of exile, literally saved them, but yet they were offering him that which cost them nothing. They were disrespecting the temple. They were bringing the worst of their livestock, the worst of their first fruits. They were just going through the motions in church. They were critical all the time and could not see God or hear God. Even the priesthood was corrupt. And when the priesthood is corrupt, it's just a matter of time before the people become corrupt. God proclaims a message, but he presents his majesty. God is a very patient and loving and gracious God. As I stated last week, we are in a dispensation of grace. God is being very good to his church right now. But there will come a time after millions of attempts at grace and love and redemption that judgment has to come because a loving God can't allow wickedness to rule and reign forever. And there is a reckoning coming for all that have mocked, denied, and cursed those of us that walk by faith. And so we pick up in message two today, and I want to talk to you about the law of sacrifice. The law of sacrifice. How many of you remember that message in song from the 80s and 90s? We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of our God. How many of you remember that? Age yourself a little bit in here. We would sing it, but I wonder if we really understood the true meaning of that great song. The Law of Sacrifice, one of the first books that uh, they have you read in seminary towards your bachelor's that's really not a religious book, it just has religious principles, is John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And one of those laws is indeed the Law of Sacrifice. And basically what that law says, and it is a biblical concept just written in a business way, is that if you don't sacrifice everything, then you will never go to the level that God intended for you to go to. In other words, if you're not willing to risk it all, you'll never be able to have it all. If you're not willing to give it all back to the Lord, then you'll never really be able to walk by faith and not by sight. And in these next few verses, the message of God continues to the people of Israel. This is a perfect revelation of God and provides us the final authority on all things related to our faith, our practice, and the personality of God. The challenge we face as a church and that we all face in the kingdom of God is getting the back then 
of the scriptures to the right now of our lives? How do we get what was written and spoken back then into the right now of our lives? What God inspired in the past can still be prophetic for our day. We can learn from not only the success of those who've gone before us, but from the mistakes of those who've gone before us. We can find some truth. So we need to go from back then to right now. Can I get an amen? We need to go from old times into timeless truths. We need to go from the past into the prophetic, the logos, the written word, into the rhema, spirit word of God. From history to his story, the story of a Messiah that came and died for the sins of mankind. This prophetic word spoken by Malachi was prophesied in the latter half of the fifth century BC. As I told you last week, there was so much going on at the time. The family was breaking down. Divorce was at an all-time high. They were uh, making a mockery of the things of God with their temple sacrifices. They were supposed to bring their best of their livestock. They were bringing the ones who were sick and diseased and malnourished and uh, that couldn't walk. They were giving God uh, what very little he asked of them. And God, through Amos, had prophesied that they would one day be brought out of captivity and have all of the things they were praying for. But yet, even though God kept his word, they didn't keep theirs. And I wonder sometimes in the kingdom of God, how many times God answers a prayer for us and we forget just a year later that he answered that prayer. And then we're mad at him because he didn't answer this new request the way we want him to. Why don't you just take a moment now and thank him for all the times he did come through for you, for the fact that you're still here today, you have breath in your lungs. The enemy wants you to focus on the one time it didn't work out like you wanted it to. But there've been many times when you've petitioned God and he said yes. And he came through. There were three significant returns from captivity to Jerusalem in these years. 536 BC, they returned under Zerubbabel and they rebuilt the temple. Second group under Ezra the priest, they found a copy of the law and it was the word of God that brought about a public revival that changed a nation and Israel confessed their sins. The final group, the group Malachi is speaking to, came back around 455 BC under Nehemiah, who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Malachi preached and delivered this prophetic word during that time. Almost 100 years after the first captives came back, the people of Malachi's day were at a turning point with God. Are they gonna come back and serve God with their whole heart Are they gonna become critics and cynics and know-it-alls? Are they gonna allow the routine of religion to keep them from the authentic fire of the altar? And I would ask you that same question. Are you gonna allow the routine religious mindset that plagues you to keep you from the fire of God? 
Because let me tell you where revival starts, inside of you. Revival starts inside of you. It's not my job to fix you, fire you up. And that's why I do teach through the books every now and then. Because if you get to relying on the ha, 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 huck and buck all the time, then you, you coming in here to be entertained. And, and the thing is, my God's big enough to speak to me when it's quiet. My God's big enough to speak to me when someone sings acapella. My God speaks to me in the shout. My God speaks to me in the still small voice. And if your heart is right, you don't have to be primed and pumped. You can feel the spirit of God wherever he is moving, whatever he is doing. W.R. Davies, great theologian, points out this tragedy of routine religion. He says this, church members are only a degree less secularized in their consciousness than the public that is completely divorced from the church. Theoretical appreciation of belief in another world is of course stronger in the church than in the world, but it is not by any means a dynamic disturbance in the life of the believer. We could possibly be missing a dynamic disturbance. Some of you need a dynamic disturbance in your spirits. You need the disturbance that causes you to change the way you think, that causes you to hit your knees, that causes you to attend church at least four weeks in a row without missing. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. I, I, I mean, I'm gonna implement a new policy, Ken. No complaints unless you're here six weeks in a row. That would end 80% of my calls about complaints. Because I'm telling you, you need a disturbance. If you can't celebrate souls being saved here and around the world and people getting ministered to, you need a disturbance. If you can't celebrate when the angels are joining in, in worship here, you need a domestic disturbance. If you can't celebrate when marriages are getting put back together, you need a disturbance. If you can't celebrate when your preacher gets invited to one of the largest churches in inner city and revival fires hit last Sunday night, people saved and anointed with oil. You can't celebrate that. You need a domestic disturbance. You can't celebrate the favor of God on this house. If you can't celebrate houses being repaired in Dominican Republic after the hurricane, if you can't celebrate aid going to Florida, and the hungry being fed here in Chattanooga, you need a domestic disturbance by way of the spirit in your home and in your heart. And the people of that day, they came to church. They brought their bodies, but they didn't bring their heart. They brought their flesh, but they didn't bring their faith. They brought their head, but they didn't bring their legs. They were there, but they weren't there in spirit. They were there because it was a routine, religious activity. Oh, God forgive us when we don't see this ground as holy ground, when we don't celebrate your goodness in the things of God. Verse six, a son honors his father and a servant his master. 
The first thing mentioned last week was love. And the people responded, but how have you, how have we not loved you? First thing that's mentioned this week is honor. You hear me talk about that a lot. It matters. You are where you are because of honor. Look at your neighbor and say, I am where I am because of honor. You will never go to a new place until you learn how to honor those the Lord has placed over you. Even political leaders you don't agree with. A son honors his father and a servant his master. This could also mean an employee to his boss. It doesn't say a servant honor the master's business. It doesn't say an employee honor his master's finances. It says a servant or an employee honor the master, the boss. It's one thing to honor an organization. It's another thing to honor the person that leads an organization. See, every time in the Bible, even though God is into building things, it always began with a message and a person. And God always anoints a person before he anoints an organization. And if you ever begin to think that somehow in a religious Eastern Tennessee, Western mindset, that God doesn't raise up people, you are sadly mistaken, my friend. And when we don't honor, we bring a curse on our descendants is what the Bible teaches. It says, then a servant, his master, if then I'm the father, God's saying through Malachi, where is my honor? Where is my honor? And if I am master, God says, where is my reverence? Where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests, now this is to the priesthood. We'll get into that more next week. To you priests who despise my name. See, when you don't respect the name, even if you don't speak negativity against the name, when you don't honor a name, you despise it. Yet you say, in what way? Here they go again. Does this not sound like church people? Even though this was thousands of years ago. In what way have we despised your name? And, and, and then here, here we get number one, the diagnosis of half-hearted worship. Number one, the diagnosis of half-hearted worship. This is what it says. It says, you offered defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you or dishonored you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. What does that word contempt mean? It means on the verge of punishment for your dishonor. If you're being held in contempt of court, you are being told that you are out of order, dishonorable, and facing punishment. By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice. They were bringing blind and beat up animals in there instead of their best. 
Is it not evil? Not just a mistake, not just an accidental sin. When we don't bring our heart into worship, when we don't bring our soul into worship, when we don't bring our best, and when we don't honor the things of God and make the things of God a priority, he says, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? In other words, if you call up Uncle Sam and you say, hey, government, I really don't feel like paying my taxes this year. You know, I'm just, I wanna buy a boat. You know, I wanna upgrade my vehicle. You know, what's gonna happen? They're gonna put you in the federal pen or give you a payment plan to keep you out of the federal pen. And I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just being true to the text this morning. But if, if I mean, we wouldn't dare, most of us, cheat the government. But man, we're okay with cheating God. We're okay with giving God a little leftover. Giving God that which cost us nothing. Coming in here and not worshiping him. We worship football teams and soccer teams and musicians and everybody in between. You'll see people half drunk, naked, painted chest. 100,000 people there. And if somebody gets to shouting and crying in here, well, that's, that's weird. That's weird. Shooting shots of liquor at seven o'clock in the morning for 20 hours and getting half naked on TV is not weird. But we come in here and if somebody wants to get a shout of praise on, somebody wants to run, somebody wants to cry, someone wants to get a little crazy with God, man, they're weird. Maybe the ones of us that don't do that are weird. Maybe they have something we need. Maybe they got something that we should aspire to have. Maybe they got some Holy Ghost on their life. Maybe they got an attitude of thanksgiving on them that we need for what God has given us. The diagnosis of half-hearted worship. In what way have we defiled you? It's been the table of the Lord. Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? But now entreat God's favor <laughs> that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts in verse 10, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. My, my, my. We'll get into the rest of it. But the Lord says, I don't even want your offering. I remember one time years ago, and this may ruffle some feathers, I don't really care, that's kind of what I do. But a man, I think it was the first time, Angie, years ago we were wanting to build this building and a man 
Very wealthy man. He's probably worth about $500 million, $600 million. So a million to him be like a couple thousand for a lot of us. He wanted to give a million dollars to this church before it was built. Power of God, everybody's celebrating. Very worldly man. So he gave it. Shortly after, he, he pressured my father and some other people, this was before my time, to hire a family member of his. Well, the family member of his was sorry. Wasn't a good employee. So they let him go. Man called over here, he cussed my father out. And I respected what my dad did to this day and I'll remember it the rest of my life. He told that joker, come get your money. You didn't give it to me, you gave it to the church. I didn't take a dime of it. You don't like the way I lead, come get your money and take it to the house. I just want you to know where, how I was raised. And I wanna put the devil on notice. I cannot be bought. I am not for sale. So if you're going to give an offering over here to try to manipulate me, control me, how I lead, just take your offering to some religious place and let God bless it there because I'm not for sale. I'm a pastor, not a puppet. And I'm telling you, I've always respected that. But it, it, it reminded me of what God says here. He says, look, if your heart's not right, I don't even want your offering." I don't even want it. If your heart's not where it needs to be, if you're a dishonorable person, I don't even want your money. That's the God we serve. My friend Dickie Adcock Sr. is here today. I'm not gonna embarrass him much. He's a great man, but an average poker player. <laughs> Lynn's father. We have different beliefs and I know we respect each other's beliefs, but I'll never forget. He told me he was proud of me and I said years ago, what's your advice to me? He said, don't ever let money get the best of you. Too many people that do what you do, let money get the best of them. And I've always remembered those words and I'm working hard to keep my promise. Because this isn't about money. You have to have money to do what we do on a large scale, but it's never been about that for me. It's always been about the souls. It's always been about the kingdom and it's always been about you. It's always been about you for me, honestly. The diagnosis of half-hearted worship. There is no worship without sacrifice. You can go to Cain and Abel. It's not the first story of murder, it's the first story of sacrifice. Abel gave his best to God and Cain hated him for it. And I'm telling you, if you give your best praise to God, people are gonna hate you for it. If you give your best seed to God, people are gonna hate you for it. If you stay in one church over a lifetime and you're faithful and you don't jump here and there, people will hate you for it. They'll mock you for it. Abraham and Isaac. Isn't it like God to get, make you wait forever for the promise in Isaac, then once you get the promise, tell you you gotta give it back to him. Because God wants our hearts fixed on him. Not on the things of this world, not even on the promises he keeps to us or the prayers that he answers. He wants our heart on him. Not on what he has done or can do for us, on him. I'm telling you, we need to get to a place where we're willing to sacrifice. I wanna give you three universal sacrifices of worship from the word of God. First is a sacrifice of a broken heart. 
How many of you, and, I, and listen, I've done this a lot, have ever been to such a place in your life where you literally cry out from a place of brokenness like David in Psalm 51? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Psalm 51. Sacrifice of our bodies, Romans 12. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then one of my favorites, a sacrifice of praise. Everybody can do that. Everybody can give a sacrifice of praise. Why don't you just give God your best praise right now? Just give him a shout about how good he is. What does a sacrifice of praise do? The first thing it does is it acknowledges a debt. In our case, a sin debt. It also involves your heart when you give a praise. It exercises your will. In other words, not my will, but your will be done. It acknowledges a debt that's been paid. It involves your heart and it exercises your will. And eventually, if you give God your greatest praise, it's going to manifest in the form of character. In other words, those struggles you have, the worldly stuff you deal with, God will clean it up over a period of time if you just continue to praise him. You may just need to look at somebody and say, I'm still a mess, but I'm gonna praise him. I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm gonna praise him anyways. I'm not as bad as I used to be but I'm not as good as I'm gonna be. God's working on me. And while he's working on me, I'm gonna go ahead and praise him in the storm. I'm gonna go and praise him in the midst of loss, praise him in the midst of struggle. Next, God gives his rebuke of half-hearted worship. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? Let me give you this in Abba's house language. Who there among you will even serve as a door greeter? Can we get anybody to do something? Now, many of you serve. It's like Pastor Adam said, greatest church in the world. But to go where we're supposed to go, we got to have everybody in here and everybody watching online skipping today serving. Everybody. Because that's where God wants us to go. And we can't go alone. We got to have his spirit and we got to have each other. It says that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. The word vain is hinnom in the Hebrew, and it's the exact same word used by King David in 2 Samuel 24 when he says, I refuse to offer God that which costs me hinnom nothing. I refuse it. Number three, there's a revelation of full-hearted worship. A revelation of full-hearted worship. In the midst of these words, you, you hear God begin to describe his table and his majesty from the rising of the sun even to its going down. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. See, here's, this is still a rebuke because basically God is saying, listen, if you won't worship me with your whole heart, if you won't be faithful, if you won't do the things I'm asking you to do, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to them and they're gonna praise me like you should be praising me. And I'm gonna send a Messiah. He's gonna be a radical. He's gonna upset religion. He's gonna come from Nazareth, from a virgin. 
and he's going to come in fulfillment with every other prophecy and he's going to be born of that virgin and he's never going to sin and he's going to be raised as a rabbi but he's going to know more than them intellectually and he's going to walk in a spiritual way that they've never seen before because he is going to be my son and he is going to be the one that will pay the price for every sin that has ever been committed or ever will be committed and he will be the bridge back to me saith the Lord Jesus of Nazareth in every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering my name will be great among the nations and he speaks to them again about their lack of giving their lack of love their lack of service and he makes a statement the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit its food is contemptible what is the table of the Lord? It is his altar. It is worship. It is our services we have here. It is the ministry that goes out of here. It is the offering. When we take the offering, absolutely. It is how we greet and how we love each other. It is our attitude toward the things of God and the house of God and the spirit of God. It is how we love with an everlasting love. It is how we honor people who God has placed above us. I tell you, the key to success is understanding when you're in the presence of greatness. People that go places understand when they are in the presence of greatness. People that don't overlook the anointing, the work, the lifestyle of a person of greatness. And I'm telling you, when we come into this place, we are in the presence of greatness. Amen. And it's not Ronnie, it's Jesus. And we need to respect him, worship him, and know him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to ask my staff to come down to the altar. Um, everyone, go ahead and make your way here if you would. Pastor Angie, um, I believe she's somewhere. I'm going to actually, um, Pastor Angie, I'm going to mess you completely up. Well, actually, I'm not. Mama T, if you need to be baptized and you want to go up there now and do it, this beautiful lady right here, she will take you up to the baptistry and she will get you where you need to be. We have a change of clothes. We got everything. Don't miss this opportunity to obey God. We already had two. Just from hearing the testimony of Dickie, they felt like it was time to do it. That's how the spirit works. So I don't want you to miss your moment. If God's calling you to do it, Brad's up there ready. There's going to be plenty of time. We're about to get our worship on. And I'm going to just have Mama T stay for a few minutes. If you need Jesus in your life and you're not saved, and God's speaking to your heart to come back to him, I just want to give you an opportunity now to make Jesus the Lord of your life. This is a tough message. It's tough because God goes silent after this message is delivered for 400 years. But the good news is God never lets us down and his son Jesus would be born. And Jesus is the savior, the Bible says, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's you, anybody, every race, every creed, every socioeconomic background, whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have everlasting life. All you have to do is believe, receive, confess. If that's you, just pray this prayer. Say, dear Lord Jesus, have his house help me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me.
Fill me with your spirit and use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you're saved. Your sins are forgiven you. You're going to heaven. Amen? But it also says that if you meant it, that you have to confess that in front of your peers. Even Jesus said, look, if you'll not confess me in front of your friends, I'll not confess you in front of my father. In other words, it's half-hearted if you're ashamed of it. That's why we have you come down. That's why we have you to be baptized. So you can make a public declaration of what you believe for once in your life. And if you need to do that, you come to Mama T here in just a minute and you tell her. But for the rest of you, maybe the spirit is stirring in you and you need someone to pray over you for a miracle, for a blessing, for favor, for really a change of heart for you, the fire of God to come back. So when you come into his presence, there's a respect for the Lord. There's an honor of the place. Maybe you're supposed to serve. I tell you, we ought to have a line at the next steps table today, Joey. We ought to have a line there. People saying, how can I help? Because God is calling us before Jesus comes back once and for all, or calls us home to get to work helping others. Would you stand on your feet? Heavenly Father, as we begin this ministry time today, and we celebrate these baptisms, Lord, I pray that every word that came forth from my mouth today, Lord, would saturate the hearts of the men and women in this place and listening. Lord, may they hear from you, not from me. May you bring them back into the kingdom today. May, as Lynn said, even if times are tough, maybe they just turn around and come back. But you'll welcome them home like the prodigal son. So Father God, I declare healing. I declare purpose, destiny, a praise being released because you paid it all. We give you that sacrifice of praise today of a broken and contrite heart, of thanksgiving and of honor. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all you brought us through. In Jesus' name, we worship. You come if you need to be baptized or if you need ministry. Don't miss your moment today.